When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, we look ahead to one of the most major milestones of our lives when we graduate into retirement. Now, here's our valedictorian and certified financial planner practitioner, Eric Brotman, your host of Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. Get ready for inspiration and actionable advice to guide you towards a seamless transition into a dignified retirement where you get to make your dreams a reality. Welcome to episode 16 of season one of Don't Retire, Graduate. I'm Eric Brotman, your host, and today is a very special episode of our show because we have uh, about as close to personal finance royalty as we've had on our show so far. And our guest today is Gene Chatsky who is the financial editor of NBC's Today Show, an award-winning personal finance journalist, AARP's personal finance ambassador, and host of an incredible podcast with 180 episodes already called Her Money with Jean Chatsky on iTunes. Uh, she's a best-selling author, um, is involved with financial literacy and financial planning for women. Uh, and we're going to have a, an in-depth conversation about uh, how the financial industry works with uh, women uh, differently than with men and whether that's a good thing or not. So, Jean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. Well, this is I've been looking forward to this this interview for sure and um, realize some of the work that you're doing uh, with financial literacy education um, and with some of the charitable foundations and which all of which is terrific. Um, but I also saw some things on your website that were fascinating to me, uh, which seems to indicate that uh, you have a fervent belief that financial issues and planning and planning around money should be different for women than men. Uh, and I, I think a lot of big corporations have been trying to figure that out for a long time. So um, I guess let's start with why you believe that there's a, a profound difference and let's take it from there. Sure. So I think the difference lies in um, two different areas, two specific areas. The first is just in the statistics. And Eric, you know these as a, as a planner, you know these as well as anyone. Um, women earn substantially less than men still, only about 80 cents, 79 cents on the dollar, depending on how you manage it. African-American women, Latina women earn even less um, compared to men. And we are still the ones who take breaks from the workforce to care for our kids, to care for our older parents, add those two things together. And when you get to retirement, if, if retirement is something that is in the cards for you, you have to then make that money last longer because women still outlive men by an average of about five years. The other difference, though, is an emotional difference. For my latest book, which is called Women With Money, I had the opportunity to interview hundreds of real women and ask them, what do you want from your money? And over and over and over, before I heard anything else, before I heard, I want a beach house, before I heard, I want college for my kids, I heard safety, 
security, stability, savings to to such a degree that I came to believe these are not wants for women, these are needs. And we have to satisfy our need for safety and security before we allow ourselves to reach for just about anything else. And and that can be really, really difficult because sometimes this desire for safety and security stands in the way of doing the things we need to do with our money, i.e. investing in order to grow it. There's a, a profound male-dominated environment in the financial services arena. You know that. And um, I think the latest statistics showed that of all the financial advisors in the United States, 88% are male. Um, And, you know, one of the things we've tried to do here at BFG is is change that. We actually have eight financial advisors, four men and four women, um, and are involved in the the females and finance group and and some other groups to try and and change that. But the reality is, uh, for one reason or another, this career – um, doesn't attract women at least at the same rate as it attracts men, or folks just aren't hiring them. Have, have you run into that? Have you run into folks who have the aptitude and interest but just aren't getting hired? No, it's the flip side, I think. I, I, I have run into so many firms that are actively trying to recruit women, which is wonderful because it, it's a fantastic career for women, as, as I'm sure you know, and I don't know what your recruiting secrets have been, but maybe you should start sharing them with some of the big firms. More than that, I think the career itself tends to be a little bit daunting for women, at least as far as it has been handled historically. In, in many firms, uh, financial advisors have been asked to sell, sell, sell from the get-go, to build a big book of business and um, and to do whatever it takes in order to meet, you know, a, a certain level of productivity. That emphasis on selling, I think, is not especially appealing to women, although, you know, certainly some women are attracted to it. And those women who sort of are able to dig in a little further and see past that, that there are other models, there are other ways to approach financial planning, come to realize it's really a relationship business. You know, it's it's a great business for somebody who is a wonderful listener and somebody who is a terrific communicator and somebody who has a lot of empathy. Um, the other thing I think that scares some women off is this perception that it's all advanced math. And it's really not a lot of advanced math at all. It's um, percentages, it's fractions, it's addition, it's subtraction, it's some multiplication, but it's not, it's certainly not an advanced level of math to the degree that it should scare anybody off. I think you just demystified the profession in 45 seconds, which is uh, which is fantastic. I, I think one of the things that we've done that has helped um, in recruiting women is acknowledging that by their very nature, women are better suited for this career than men for the reasons you stated, for the reasons about relationship building, for the reasons about empathy, for the reasons about um, really building connections with people and becoming a, a trusted resource for people. And I would totally agree with you. To me, it's not about the math. You can find people to help crunch numbers. Um, what it's hard to do is to get people to, to, to open up, to share with you, and then to, um, to take action based on your recommendations. And sometimes that can be very, very tough. I, I think 
historically, the, the sales mentality, the wolf of Wall Street mentality, the, you know, Hollywood loves to, loves to make an example of financial firms, and, and it always looks like, a, like an old boys network. And um, frankly, in the independent space, I haven't seen that to be true. So, um, well, let, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the planning issues that women face. And specifically, let's talk about retirement. As I know you're aware, um, you know, we espouse that retirement is, in fact, not good for you in the traditional sense and that one shouldn't disappear or retreat, but should actually have something to move towards, like a graduation. Um, women do live longer than men. Um, mm-hmm. And for the reasons that you indicated, sometimes have fewer resources than men. So how, how, do, you, how do you stretch that? How do you make... Um, the money last while still enjoying your time. Sometimes safety is is the enemy of of happy, isn't it? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I have to say I'm with you. I, um, as I think about retirement, I think of it as just maybe doing a little bit less of the work that I really love to do. Um, and I think a lot of people agree with us that that retirement, in the typical sense, is is not. Um, is is not what a lot of people want anymore. We want to be busy. We want to be interested. We want to be vital. We want to be engaged. Now, that said, the numbers of people who are forced into retirement on a schedule that they didn't expect, the number of so-called surprise retirements that happen, we just have a piece about this at, at Her Money, is much larger than you might expect. And it's not a, um, it's not always something that you can control. Sometimes it's a health issue that forces people to retire earlier than they might expect. Sometimes your company is scaling down. It's sometimes you have to step back to take care of a child or a parent or somebody else that you love in your life. And so, although I like to think that maybe I'll be able to continue to work and work as long as I want. I'm um, also planning for a time when I might not be able to work. Um, and, and that is what we now call retirement. I think that doing that wisely is a matter of getting a grip on what it's actually going to cost you to live when you're no longer earning whatever your day-to-day salary happens to be. And a lot of people have not looked at those numbers. There are some numbers that you can predict. We've got some rules of thumb that that show that the amount of money that we earn um, actually goes down or, or that we spend actually goes down from the time we hit our early 50s into the early to mid years of retirement, which makes sense because that's when Hopefully you pay off the mortgage and the kids have gone to college and maybe you don't need that third car and you just, you you scale back. But then toward the end of life, healthcare costs kick things back up again. And, and that can be a, a lot for people to handle. I mean, fortunately, um, even people who are now um, fully funding their 401ks or their SEPs or their IRAs. Also, if they have a healthcare plan that is usable for this purpose, have the ability to open an HSA, a health savings account. And if they've got a HSA qualified 
health plan, then they can put money into that account on an annual basis, which they can either use to pay for health care in that year, or they can invest and let grow while they pay for health care out of current cash flow, and that can become a supplemental retirement account. Um, we're actually heading into open enrollment period right now for benefits. So for people who are wondering if an HSA might be the right thing for them, I am um, I'm hosting a panel. Uh, on October 15th, uh, where people are discussing how they're using these accounts. And if you're interested in that, you can sign up at hsaday.com. I, I saw that, that you're you're part of National HSA Awareness Day. I, I'm with you. I think HSAs are the greatest invention that, uh, that legislation's come up with in a long time. Um, there are certain areas where one can uh, can put money away where it's never taxed again. And I think the HSA is as close to a tax panacea as there is. Because it's so predictable that, that most of us will have large health care expenses uh, later in life. And so this idea that if you can afford the deductibles and the coinsurance and some of the things during your working years in exchange for taking the tax deduction and growing a nice big uh, HSA account that's invested, you never pay taxes on the gains or the withdrawal so, you, so long as you do it right. There aren't, there aren't too many vehicles that allow you a deduction up front and tax-free income on the back end. I mean, that's, that's really, truly an amazing vehicle in and of itself, just from an investment perspective. I also wanted to just say, you know, I, the, I'm sure there are people listening who are saying, I'm maxing out my 401k, and that's really all I can do. I still need to pay for health care with current dollars. Even if you just put money into the account a little at a time and pull it out when you need it, you can still use it to pay for day-to-day healthcare expenses and, and even drugstore items and save about 25% on every purchase just because you're running it through that account. There's also some conversation about whether maxing your 401k and skipping the HSA actually makes sense because using the HSA first may actually create a better tax situation for you because the 401k dollars will eventually be subject to required distributions. You're eventually going to pay taxes on it after it's grown, no matter what you use it for, Um, whether it's in your generation or whether you leave it to heirs, um, whereas the HSA can perpetually be tax-free. So for the folks who say, I'm maxing my 401k, but I I just don't have the money for, for other savings, it might make sense to reduce your 401k contributions by enough to max the HSA just from a long-term planning perspective. How do you feel about that? No, I I think you're right. I think we want people to get the biggest return on their money, right? And the biggest return that I know of are 401k matching dollars and other incentives like them because they're essentially... um, in, in usually, usually they're they're somewhere around fifty cents on the dollar for the first um, three to six percent that you're kicking in to your four hundred one k or your other retirement account, and that's a that's a big guaranteed return. But now, a number of employers are starting to incent contributions to an HSA too. So perhaps you work for somebody who is um, kicking in $1,000 for opening or contributing to a health savings account. Um, That's the equivalent of the 401k match, and you want to make sure that you're grabbing that as well. So I would say, you know, make sure you're grabbing any of the matching dollars, then take a look at your life to figure out whether you want to fully fund the health savings account or the 401k. They both should go very, very high on the list. 
Um, well, I think we're we're in harmony on that for for sure. Um, one of the things that I that concerns me is the millennial generation and how mm-hmm. frequently job changes occur, and how they're subject to these these matches, but then they also have vesting schedules. And a lot of times, if you change jobs every two, three, four years, you don't vest in your benefits, and you actually have to give it back functionally. I, I'm not seeing as much as you are, but I don't work with individuals on a regular basis, so I don't have as much insight into their individual plans. But you have a good point about portability. Um, the money that you put into a health savings account is yours. It's yours to take with you um, no matter when you change jobs. Uh, and and that is, um, that's a very, very valid benefit. In, in your opinion, um, why, why isn't financial literacy taught? in schools is it uh, i mean i I certainly have a a few ideas about it i saw the state of pennsylvania just passed something to to include that in the curriculum we've been trying in maryland for years and failing at getting this uh through and i i think these young people just i mean they're not learning it from their parents their parents don't know it in fact i'd like to see us teach financial literacy to the students and their parents I, I totally agree with you, and the teachers don't know it either. And I think that's one of the um, one of the hurdles. Uh, so I've done a lot of research into why it's not taught. It's it's not taught in part because teachers have so many other requirements that are tested, and so making room for financial literacy. Uh, which is not tested in very many states, is not something that ends up very high on the priority list. Um, But another problem is that teachers don't feel comfortable teaching it because for the same reason as many parents don't feel comfortable teaching it, they don't feel like they're managing their own financial lives well enough. you know, I'm I'm with you. I think it's I don't think that money management is a quote unquote personal finance skill. I think it's a life skill. And if we just look at the things that are causing stress in people's lives these days, money is at the very top of the list. And it's because we don't have things in mass like emergency cushions. It's because we have and are trying to carry too much debt, student loan debt, credit card debt. It's Knowing the language of money, understanding how to ask your questions, even if you don't know the answers, is what we need to teach kids. It's not about being able to pick the right stock. It's about being able to live on less than you make. Um, Yes, I completely agree. And not just less than you make, but ideally less than, say, 85% of what you make. I mean, it's, it's nice to have a positive cash flow, but it's also important to have a lifestyle that doesn't adjust to the to the nth degree of your raise too. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, let, let's shift gears a little bit because one of the things that uh, personal finance often um, uh, fails to to teach folks or work with folks on is things that revolve around not just estate planning, which sort of gets covered, but more legacy planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, when we talk about philanthropy and we talk about charitable giving and we talk about estate planning the vast majority of people either glaze over because it's something they either don't want to talk about or or aren't comfortable with, or they feel like it's only for the super wealthy. And that's simply not true. Um, Are are you finding that um, that this is yet another area where folks are really unprepared, not only um, at the time of their own mortality, but also just in terms of of their planning along the way? 
Yeah, and I think we see that every year at the holidays. One of the things that that um, made me feel really good, actually, about the hundreds of women that I, I interviewed for the book was the um, the huge number of times making a difference um, through giving, through impact investing, through teaching their kids, through providing a, a, a legacy for, for their children or organizations they care about came up all the time on lists of things that women want to do with our money. I think we get a little stuck and legacy sometimes becomes one of those reactionary things rather than one of those things that we go out and we actively seek. I mean, of course, every person who has dependents should have a will. We should all have and by the way, not just who has dependents, but who has stuff that you've worked hard for that you care about where it ends up. We should all have durable powers of attorney for healthcare and finance. We should all have living wills that tell a doctor or a hospital what we want if, if something were to happen to us. But even thinking beyond that, we should all be thinking about how we want to use our money to create the change that we want to see in the world. And that means figuring out your own giving plan, figuring out where where it makes sense for you to want to give because you want to ensure the future of organizations or the cure of a particular disease or that people in your neighborhood or across the world have vaccines or have enough to eat versus giving because you got an email from somebody who's hosting a benefit. Right. I, I think sometimes we, we do that um, because, as somebody once said to me, that's the price of friendship. And it can be. But I, we also have to give ourselves the opportunity to understand we have limited money for this and we want to we want to use it in a way that does the most good for each dollar. I think there's a lot more to legacy than money um, and property. Uh, you know, People think about their wills and well, who's who's getting the oil fields. Right. Um, it's not so much that. It's to me. It's what are the stories? What's the vision? What's the what, where do our grandparents and great grandparents and their their parents come from? And what's important? How do we how do we pass that forward? So um, we've actually teamed up with a company here in Maryland that helps create videos, legacy videos for folks. I love that. Um, that it's as close to immortality as I've ever seen. Uh, in fact, I, I gave one to each of my parents as gifts. And said, Mom and Dad, this is the most selfish gift I'll ever give because it's not really for you. It's, it's for us. And I, I have a daughter who's, who's uh, nine years old, and uh, she doesn't remember um, my father-in-law because he died entirely too young, and he always had the camera. There, there weren't even pictures when he was gone. And so now she'll have these videos, and she'll not only see their faces and hear their voices, but hear their stories. And to me, that's worth more than money in a lot of cases. I think you're I think you're absolutely right. My cousins did that with their parents for my aunt and uncles. I think it was for their 80th birthday, 75th and 80th birthdays maybe. And I I thought about um have thought about it as well. I also think there's a there's a wonderful tradition called an ethical will which is it's largely a Jewish tradition or it came from from Jewish tradition and it's basically just a letter that you write and you tell your kids or grandkids or whomever some of the stories and some of the the things that you want them to remember about 
um, how you hope that they'll live in the future. My stepfather talks a lot about something he calls a letter of instruction and suggestion. And the instruction part is, this is who you call in an emergency. These are where the important important documents are kept. This is the important accounts. These, this is the lawyer. This is the accountant. But the suggestion part is, is largely um, the stuff of an ethical will. I love that. And I've not heard it called an ethical will before, but I, I love the concept. Um, that's certainly something that I could see our, our, the folks we represent feeling really good about. So I want to shift gears now and talk um, a little bit about your plans. Um, you, you know, you mentioned this idea that um, retirement would be hopefully work for as long as you're able in some capacity. Um, do you have a, a either a graduation plan, for lack of a, a better term, or uh, something you want to do in your 2.0 or 3.0 iteration personally? Right now, I am very focused on growing hermoney.com. Um, we've got a podcast every week. We publish a couple of newsletters every week. We're publishing new content every day. We're building a team. So I am really working on diving into that right now. I think that uh, what we have learned is is that bringing women together to talk about the issues around money, whether we do it in a Her Money Happy Hour, which are our in-person gatherings, or whether we do it in our private Facebook group, women leave feeling supported and just better. And I want more of that. As far as graduating from that, I, I gosh, I feel like I'm just a sophomore. I'm not quite ready yet. That's good. That's good. Don't rush it. Um, if you if you uh, remember your senior year, um, I, I remember turning in my final paper at Bennett Hall. Um, I remember the day and the date, and then I remember thinking that was amazing. What am I going to do now? Um, yeah. This is sort of this amazing. Uh, like now what? I turned in my thesis, and now now I'm just unemployed, um, which was which was kind of alarming. But as a fellow English major, you understand that's that's right. sometimes how that works. That final paper, I do not remember the date I turned in my final paper in college, but I, I, you know, I remember so many of, of those milestones and, and I, I think you're right. I think it is a continuation of, of a journey and, um, I've, I've seen a lot of research that shows, and I, I believe it, that we're happier and we're healthier when we have the ability to keep doing something that really fulfills us. It makes us, it lights us up. And so I will continue to look for some of that. I love that. That, that is speaking directly to our audience because, um, you know, we, we, I, I don't espouse that retirement is the absence of work. It's the absence of needing to work. So I think financial independence is a spectacular goal. Um, but the idea of being idle and retreating sounds dreadful. And I think anecdotally, people don't thrive. When they don't have a reason to get out of bed, they stop getting out of bed in the morning. And that, exactly. that doesn't sound like the way. And retirement, and I put in quotes, could be 30 years. Yeah, you know, this isn't, uh, there was an, yeah, Well, there was an era where by 65, you got the gold watch and the pension, and at 72, you were dead. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's a continuum. It could be 30 years, which creates not only the financial pressure of how do you pay for 30 years, but also the social and psychological pressure of how do you make a difference for 30 years? How do you stay involved and active? And, you know, there's only so much shuffleboard and so many golf courses. I, I just don't know that that's good for people to be that idle. So 
Um, we're at this the the phase of our show where I, I get to ask you for uh, an extra credit assignment. Sort of Uh-oh. the one takeaway. Well, you know, nobody does. Nobody likes homework. Uh, you remember homework was no fun, but you always did extra credit. And um, you know, I'm even teaching my daughter that in fourth grade. When there's extra credit, go for it. Th- those are freebies. So um, the extra credit assignment is that one takeaway, the one action or uh, suggestion, if you will that our listeners can take from our time together today. And if they do this one thing, it will, it will uh, help amplify their, their process, either toward financial independence or graduation or just thinking differently. So what would your extra credit assignment look like? What would that be? Oh, so I'm going to send them to two places for my extra credit assignment. The first is back to hsaday.com. We know that health savings accounts are the fastest growing type of health insurance out there. There's a lot of confusion about them and and there are a lot of people who have them and aren't using them as well as they should. So if you go there and sign up, you'll, you'll be able to watch our webcast on October 15th. And the other place is go to hermoney.com and sign up for our newsletters there and join our community. We would love to have you. Gene, you've been an incredible guest. I've enjoyed this tremendously. Um, for more, we're going to post show notes. We certainly know how to reach you, and hermoney.com is a great place and a great resource. And I'm, I have total podcast envy. Your podcast is amazing, and everyone Thank out there you. should listen to it for sure. It's really, really good. If for more on this episode and other episodes, go to don'tretiregraduate.com. I'm Eric Brotman, your host, and we'll be uh, live with another episode in two weeks. So for now, don't retire graduate. Thanks for joining us. From this day forward, let us make each decision with our best interests in mind. Let us begin visualizing our dreams and reaching our goals. It's time to take the next steps in our life journey and build our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website, don'tretiregraduate.com to download episodes and connect with us on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.